0: Welcome to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host once again, Bo Smolka, joined by former Ravens tight end Daniel Wilcox. And last week, we gave a good look at the Ravens offense here in deep into training camp. And this week, we're going to do the same with the defense. Now, before we do that, a quick recap of the preseason opener. The Ravens played the Tennessee Titans in week one of the preseason on Thursday night. And the Ravens came away with a 23 to 10 win. It's their 21st straight preseason win and I know winning I don't think is the most important thing in these games but I think the reason the Ravens are able to win so many of these games and it's not because they play their starters in fact almost no starters in the Ravens uh, played and it's not because they're really trying to win I think the real reason is I think their roster when you get down to 70 80 90th man I think the rosters are just deeper than other teams rosters and I think when you get into the third and fourth stringers that bears out in fact in the second half in that game Tennessee didn't score at all. The Ravens were held to three field goals, but they scored nine and Tennessee scored none and they went at 23 to 10. Tyler Huntley was 16 for 18 in the first half of that game and, and really looked, honestly, he looked better than he's looked in training camp. And the big thing I thought coming out of that game was the defense came up with three takeaways. Now, last year, the Ravens only had 15 takeaways all year and they have stress. They want to be able to generate more turnovers this year. And they were able to get three inter uh, three turnovers in that game. Malik Harrison forced a fumble that was recovered by rookie safety Kyle Hamilton. And then Daryl Worley, who had just been signed by the team, intercepted a pass that was underthrown. And then Geno Stone, who might have been the best player on the field in the training in the first preseason game, he came up with an interception of a tip ball late in the game. So they had to feel good about that. And that's a good way to segue into this week's show. We are going to discuss this Ravens defense. It wasn't pretty last year for this defense. There's no other way to say it. They ranked last in the league in passing. Um, Now, there were a massive number of injuries on this team, and that was clearly a factor. After this season, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, left the team. mutual decision is, is how they're putting it. But he's out, and in is Mike McDonald, and it is his defense to run this year. So let's go position group by position group with this Ravens defense, starting up front with the defensive line. And again, as we did last week, I'll ask Daniel Wilcox a key question for each group. With this defensive line, if in what I have seen in training camp so far, I think it's been a really strong summer for this defensive line. They might keep five. They might keep six defensive linemen. But frankly, almost everyone in that group has looked good this summer. There was some concern about Michael Pierce, who was re-signed by the team and then didn't come back for OTAs or the June minicamp. He's looked solid. Calais Campbell, we know what he is. He's a veteran who's going to show up every time. They have a new rookie draft pick, Travis Jones, in the middle of that defense from UConn, who looks like he could be a force. He had a sack in the game against Tennessee. Runs really well for his size. And Broderick Washington is an inside lineman. Justin Matabike, both of them have looked good at times this summer. Washington, honestly, probably better. And then the other one who may, I think he's on the roster bubble just by numbers, is Brent Urban, a former Raven who's a defensive end, more of a prototypical defensive end than those other guys. He's the logical backup to Calais Campbell, but he may not make this roster if they only keep five, but they've all looked good. I think it's been a really encouraging start for this defensive front. What they really want to do this year is get more pressure up front from the interior of the line. They didn't really get it last year. They didn't get it with Brandon Williams. They didn't get it with Justin Matabike, really, and we thought they might because he was terrific last training camp, and then he kind of vanished at times in the season. Travis Jones looks like he could really be a guy that could do that. Broderick Washington, maybe. Matabike, maybe. Let me ask you, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end. You've been in offensive lines. You've seen him de- defensive lines a lot in your career. From a defensive point of view, what's the key to getting pressure up front from those guys, specifically up the middle?
1: Bo, I've played with some really good interior linemen. Um, You know, in New York, I had Jason Ferguson, a.k.a. Big Cat. You know, he was um, super twitchy, super, you know, agile. He could play point guard on the basketball court. Like, that's how athletic the guy was. Then I went down to Tampa and I was down there with Warren Sapp. You know, everybody know who the Hall of Famer is, Warren Sapp. And um, same thing, you know, point guard type guy on the basketball court, long arms, but was super agile, quick on his feet, and um he get off the ball extremely fast. And then I got to Baltimore. I had Kelly Gregg, shorter guy, shorter arms, but also super quick and played low to the ground with great leverage. And then Helodi Nala came in, of course, and everybody knows what that powerhouse will. I think he'll be a Hall of Famer one day myself himself as well. Um and Halodi, kind of the same prototype as Jason Ferguson and Warren Sapp, you know, long arms, bigger body, just powerful guy, Lord, big, big, thick Lord trunk. And um, just just play with force and twitchiness and quickness, and I think the explosiveness that you get from those interior guys—that short, quick, stout, long arms—they where they can create separation and, and penetrate. Or, the key for the interior line, I think I, more than anything, it's leverage. Um, uh, being able to play with leverage, being able to stay low, still being able to move side to side, being able to pick a side of an uh, offensive lineman. My two arms are stronger than your one. If I could get to a side of you. And, and play with leverage and keep that inside shoulder down, a lot of times I can create pressure just off leverage alone and, and being able to beat you to a side.
0: They really like what they've seen from Travis Jones as an inside guy, and he did that at UConn. And the one thing Joe Ortiz, the Ravens director of player personnel, used to, was telling us is that, he had such a workload at UConn. The number of snaps he played was incredibly high. And they don't think he'll need to do that here with the kind of depth they have, but they think he's a the guy that may be able to turn loose. And we saw in practice just the other day, there was a play where he broke through. And again, they're not doing a whole lot of tackling yet. They're not really doing sacking, but Travis Jones breaks through busts up the pocket and there's an FAO on the outside to, to clean it up. And I think that's the kind of thing they could really, really do. Or, Owe might force a quarterback back in right into Travis Jones or Broderick Washington or one of these guys. So they're really they're encouraged by what they have in that defensive front. And I I, I am, too. And Calais Campbell talked after practice yesterday and he couldn't say enough good things about Travis Jones. He thinks he's really he, he's going to do really well in this league. All right. Let's move to the inside linebacker group. And this is a group that, frankly, they don't have a lot of depth here. Uh, It looks like Patrick Queen and the veteran Josh Bynes will be back again this year as the starters. You've got Malik Harrison and Christian Welch, who's an undrafted rookie from a couple of years ago, behind them. Harrison has played a little bit of inside, a little bit of outside in the last couple of years. He hasn't quite got to where they want him to be, although I thought he played well in the first preseason game. And and that's pretty much it. Now, the Ravens have a, a long history of keeping an undrafted rookie inside linebacker. You think back to Bart Scott and Jamil McClain and Danelle Ellerby and Zach Orr and Patrick Owasso and Christian Welch was one of them. They often will keep an inside linebacker as an undrafted rookie. I don't know if they'll do it this year, but they might. There are three undrafted rookies in camp. Josh Ross from Michigan, Zacoby McClain from Auburn, and Diego Fagot from Navy. Now, Fagot is obviously the local sentimental favorite but I think to my eye, if they're going to keep one of the three, it's probably Josh Ross from Michigan. He seems to be ahead of the other two undrafted guys at inside linebacker and he played for a year at Michigan for Mike McDonald so there is some familiarity there. But again this is a team that might play three safeties a lot. They did it last year in their past packages. they may only have one inside linebacker on the field and they may not even play four uh, they may not even need to keep more than four. But let's talk about Patrick Queen, because this is a former first round draft pick who his career has not ascended the way he or they would have hoped. Last year, he was frequently off the field on third down situations because they didn't like the way he covered. And I know they think they expect big things from him. Patrick Queen expects big things of him himself. But when you look at Patrick Queen, Daniel Wilcox, what's next for him? Where How, how does he take his game to the next level this year? It's
1: all film study, but I, I honestly think the kid has all the intangibles to be a great inside backer. I mean, the Ravens want to draft him if he didn't. Um, he's a special kind of guy, athletic wise, and you know he can run, he can hit. You know, he he plugs the hole well, blitzes well. But I think it's all film study. I think if he can really put the time in the film room and really study, you know, each team that he plays week in and week out, and I mean this is this is a serious amount of, of film study. I mean, the, the inside linebacker you know, for the Ravens it's like the quarterback on offense, you know, so he has to know exactly what the other team's offense is doing and he should be able to reach back to those safeties and almost tell them what they expect. Um, That's, that's what you got out of Bart Scott. That's what you got, that's what you got out of Ray Lewis. You know, those guys were phenomenal in the film room and the film study to be able to take a game to another level. They knew when the dives were coming, they knew when the powers were coming, they knew when the swings were coming and the sweeps and the passes and, you know, they was able to read and pick, keys and you know you you think it's small and you think it's minor you know just being able to tell whether or not it's a pass play or a run play by the way the old lineman set so the old lineman you know put his hands on the ground how much pressure he has leaning forward on his on his knuckles and all that stuff is real man you know and and it helped it tips off little things and even alignment you know being able to understand alignment I can remember shifting and motioning in practice and they just practicing against us and Ray Lewis would be able to call out you know plays and Bart would be able to call out doing he knew exactly what it was just by how I shifted or motion or whatever, here we are trying to get keys on them. And every time we do something, they got, they picking up keys on us. And you saw when Ray played against guys like Peyton, Peyton Manning. Um, and it was almost a, a, a back and forth, like who's the smartest, you know, Peyton Manning would check, Ray would check, you know, Peyton Manning would check again, Ray would check again, you know, and it was that play back and forth. And I think, I think Patrick Quinn do the same thing. He has to, to elevate his game to the point where he can play a hundred miles per hour hour. And only you can do that if you're smart in that film room.
0: I remember his rookie year, he said he was a little tentative and then he, everything's more familiar in year two, but there were clearly some concerns about his pass coverage, especially because that's when he was often leaving the field. Ideally, that's the guy that you want as your green dot guy, the guy who's got, he's going to call the place. He's on the field every snap. And Queen did not do that last year, but I know they want him to be that guy this year. Part of it is, can he, can he improve in coverage? And I think Queen and others really struggled with their tackling last year. That was just a fundamental lapse that this team had. But he is, there's no question that if this if this defense is better, part of it will be because Patrick Queen is, is playing at a first-round level, uh, and that's what they're looking for him. All right, let's go to the outside linebacker group, because this is an interesting group. It is. You talk about the lack of depth. This is a group that probably has less depth than anywhere on the field right now. A lot of reasons why. First of all, Tyus Bowser has not yet returned from a torn Achilles in the in the season finale last year. Their second round pick, David Ajabo, uh, he is dealing with a torn Achilles from his pro day in March, so they don't have him yet. You had the tragedy this summer where Jalen Ferguson died in, in a horrible situation. Vince Beagle, who came, who was signed this summer and played, he came from the Dolphins and he was playing a lot. Then he tore his Achilles. So you've got three players down right now with Achilles injuries, but you do have Adafe Owe, who has looked fantastic this summer. I can't say enough about how good he's looked on the practice field. It seems that every single day he's getting a sack. He has just looked like a beast. And it's so funny when you think back to Owe. Remember, he was the guy he was picked in the first round, and there were concerns around the league because his last year at Penn State, he had no sacks. And the Ravens kept saying over and over again, we're not worried about his sack totals. We see a guy that can be a disruptive player in the NFL, and I think he can be, and he's showing it. So he's looked terrific this year. Justin Houston is back as a veteran, and it's so neat to watch Justin Houston almost every day after practice last year, and I assume again this year. He's out there working with younger guys, working on their moves, working on their technique. He just he's such a good mentor for this group right now. And then you've got a couple other guys that frankly one of them is probably going to need to step up. Dalen Hayes is a second-year outside linebacker out of Notre Dame who had a really good mini camp in in our OTAs. He looked good in OTAs. He's been I would say disappointingly quiet this summer. The reps are all there for him with the numbers game. And he hasn't really shined the way he did in the. He hasn't been as noticeable this summer as he was in the spring. And Stephen Means is a veteran guy who they brought back this year, seven-year veteran, played a little bit for the Ravens several years ago, had a sack in the game the other in the preseason game, and actually looked strong in the preseason game. But there's not a lot of depth in this outside linebacker group, and I still think they may go out when other teams make their roster cuts and sign somebody else. But when you look at Adafi Owe, Daniel Wilcox, I think the guy is primed for a huge year. What, what strikes you when you watch Adafi Owe play? And in your mind, what's the ceiling for him as a player?
1: Uh-huh. I don't think there is a ceiling for Adafi Owe. I mean, um, he's a pretty phenomenal guy. When you watch him, I mean, long arms, he's tall, he's linear, he moves extremely well, you know, and, and he uses his hands extremely well, but um really impressed with how he uses his hands. There's usually like more of a veteran player that that uses his hands as well as he does. Like, well, I think one of the things that impressed me about Ray when I got to Baltimore, like in practice, you know, I, I don't, I don't think he ever used his shoulder pads. He only used his hands, you know, pretty much all the time. And and, and always has that same t- type of demeanor. When you watch him on film, he's relentless. He has a high motor and people don't realize just how important that is when it comes to playing on the defensive side of the ball. you, at defensive guys are trained to get to the ball, no matter what. Every single play, they do drills, they do chase drills, they do every single thing. So everybody takes the correct angles and all that type. And when you see him play, he plays with great leverage. Um, he 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 he's twitchy. You know he's fast and he has that speed that if you turn from him, he can run you down from the backside, which causes a lot of people problems. I think you've seen it against. um Cleveland last year when he hit Landry, Landry was doing a, 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 a pass and he chased him down from the backside and Landry thought he had rolled out and he felt, he felt comfortable enough to square his feet up to throw the ball downfield. As soon as he set his feet, you know, Daffy hit him right in his back and he fumbled that ball in Cleveland, That Cleveland game. So, I mean, that goes to show you that he just has a relentless motor. He came from the backside of that play, chased that play down to the far side of the field and made that play from the backside. And to me, that makes him an impressive player. This, those are the type of players that you want to play outside backer for you. The guys that'll make plays 20 yards downfield, 30 yards downfield, as well as in the backfield. And he has a twitchiness and a strong enough motor and, re, and he's relentless to the ball where he's going to call all type of havoc, you know, for QBs.
0: So OA is a guy when we've seen him, uh, Daniel Wilcox, Owe just the, the way his speed around the edge, he gets low to the ground for his size. And I've seen him give these tackles all sorts of fits. And if you remember, there was the Kansas city game last year where he made the strip late in the game, and then recovered the fumble and And we talk about how he can be a, a disruptive player. That's the phrase the Ravens kept using about him. They said, well, "Yeah, he didn't get the sacks, but he is going to be a disruptive player." And to your point, I think it does. I mean, when you 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 affect the timing of the quarterback, that creates interceptions. You get the quarterback off his spot, as they say, that can create bad throws. And I just look, I look at it away as being, to my mind. He's been the best defensive player in camp, and I think he's primed for a huge year. All right, let's move to the secondary. A lot of people have said, you know, this is a team that is built from the back to the front. They have put a lot of money and a lot of resources in the draft into the secondary, and and it has shown a couple years ago. But, of course, Marcus Peters missed the entire year last year. Then Marlon Humphrey got hurt and missed the last part of the year last year. They were really scrambling. And for Ozzie Newsome loves to say you can never have too many corners and last year they didn't have nearly enough corners and it, it just it, they ended up having to start backups of backups uh against Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and it was probably as ugly as you could have expected. But anyway, this is a cornerback group that should be good. Marlon Humphrey is an all-pro, consistent, everything you could want in a player. He's out there to practice every day. Marcus Peters came back to practice yesterday. That was the big news of practice. This was on Monday, the 15th. Uh, Marcus Peters was back on the field for his first practice since tearing his ACL last summer. Now, he just did some light individual work, but the ramp up period for him has begun and they think he'll be ready for the regular season. And that will be a huge uh, addition to this secondary. They've, They've added veteran Kyle Fuller, who honestly, I think he's kind of struggled this summer in camp, but he's a veteran guy and he knows they know what they have with Kyle Fuller. Brandon Stevens is an interesting one. When they drafted Brandon Stevens, he had played running back at UCLA. Then he went to cornerback at SMU. The Ravens drafted him thinking he would be a safety, but now they look at their numbers in the secondary and they say, we have all these safeties. Stevens is effectively back playing cornerback and he's playing pretty well. Now he was hurt and missed about a week of practice, but I think he'll factor in. I think it will be at cornerback this year. And then they have two rookie cornerbacks, Demarion Pepe Williams, out of Houston, and Jalen Armour-Davis from Alabama. So that's six cornerbacks that are, you know, they feel pretty good about this group if they're healthy. Marcus Peters, I think, is one to watch. He's one of the most dynamic, takeaway, sudden change-type players in the league, and the Ravens have stressed how they need to get takeaways this year. With a guy like Marcus Peters, you know, when you're coming off an injury like his, What's the biggest worry for Marcus Peters? what's the biggest worry for the team engaging how he comes back from an injury like a torn ACL at the cornerback position?
1: You already know Bo I mean it's it's whether or not you're rushing them back too fast so you know and it's it's being patient. those ACLs are and the knees are so they so finicky you know once you tear it once you could easily tear it twice or again, you know or sometimes the other knee is subject to being tear you no know, torn because of of overcompensation, right? you just pray to God that, you know, that he's 100% healthy and he's actually ready to get back out and ready to go. And those rehabs are different. You know, just be patient. You know, a slight a slight little tear can cause it to tear completely all over again. So you just want to be patient, um, not put him in situations too early. Make sure he has his knee brace on, you know, not put him in any tackling situations right now. And just let him just, you know, go through all the individual stuff until he feels like he's 100% ready to cut on it, move on it, and then ex- be explosive with it. And then just you know, just take your time, man. He's he's such a dynamic piece, I think, of this defense. And his loss and Marlins' loss last year, man, that was that was huge, man, for this defense. And you know, you sit back and you look at the numbers and the stats of how how bad we did last year as a defense. And a lot of that is contributing to Marcus Peters not being there.
0: You mentioned everyone comes back at their own pace, and John Harbaugh said exactly that yesterday because Ravens had six players start uh, training camp on the pup list, and. Three of them have now come back. J.K. Dobbins, the running back, came back last week, and they ran. He did a little bit of individual work. Then he took a couple days off. He was back on the field again yesterday, and it sounds like they're easing him back. Uh, Peters came back yesterday, and so did safety Ardarius Washington, who's been dealing with a foot injury since late last year. And So he and Peters just did some light individual work, and again, it'll be a ramp-up period to get them going. And then, of course, you still have Tyus Bowser, who tore his Achilles, who is still out. Ronnie Stanley is still out. And of course, a lot of eyes are on whether, uh, you know, when Ronnie Stanley can get back on the field. But it was encouraging to see Marcus Peters back on the field yesterday. And I know they will try to ramp him up slowly, but Peters is a competitive guy. He wants to be out there and we'll see how quickly he can get into the full defensive work. But I doubt we will see him play a snap in the preseason. And then he has roughly a month to get ready. The Ravens open on Jan, on on uh, September 11th at the Jets and the goal is that Peters and Dobbins, especially them, will both be ready. The third one still on the public is Gus Edwards and Gus Edwards, it sounds as if we mentioned this last week. It sounds like he's a little further away and won't be and will not be ready by week 1. But the hope is that Peters will be. All right, let's look at the safety group and again, we talked about this team building from the back to the front. Look what they did this offseason. Their biggest free agent acquisition is safety Marcus Williams, who comes in as a starting safety. And then with their first draft pick, they take another safety in Notre Dame's Kyle Hamilton at number 14 overall. The Ravens said they were shocked that Hamilton was still there at number 14. He was considered a top 10 pick. Eric DeCosta said he thought he was a top five pick. They get him at number 14. They still have the veteran Chuck Clark They still and Geno Stone, as I said, played probably that he was probably the best player on the field in the preseason opener. They've also got veteran Tony Jefferson who came back late last year in this whole shorthanded secondary and he's a real leader in that in that locker room. So, it's another deep safety group. The Ravens have said with Clark and with Stone and with Hamilton and with Williams, with all these guys, they see situations where they will often play three safeties. And that we I mentioned that earlier that may be one way you kind of don't need an, another inside linebacker. But defensively, Daniel Wilcox, what kind of problems can the Ravens create by playing these three safeties? When you look at a guy like Kyle Hamilton and his skill set, what are the advantages to playing three safeties? And maybe what are the dangers of trying to play a defense with three safeties?
1: I think I look at that situation kind of like like fighter jets. You know, you you ever see those? What is it? Blue Bombers? And those guys just fly around, and they just doing all these tricks and stuff in the air, and they Blue super Angels. fast. They, you, the Navy you Blue fly Angels, by you. the yep. Blue Angels, yeah, the Blue Angels. Yep, is just that's a, that's exactly how I look at it, man. When you bring in three safeties, you got guys that that are long, linear, could wreak havoc. They fast, you know. The running backs can't outrun them. They could cover, you know. They you got guys that actually covering the slot with the slot receivers, and then you can send them off the edge, and you know, create more havoc in the backfield with the QB and disrupting the run. Um, the handoffs and stuff like that, and um, and it makes it hard for running backs to get outside. Forces those running backs to have to stop their feet and cut back when you see those safeties come clean off the edge, man. And I just think if the fact that they went and got uh, Kyle Hamilton and then Marcus Williams, you know, from the Saints, I mean, you're talking about phenomenal guys that are super athletic, long, rangy, that could cover, run, hit, tackle. You know, you don't lose anything by bringing them in if you take a linebacker out, and all you do is gain speed and 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 agility. Um, I, I think it sets the Ravens defense, you know, apart and kind of puts us in that same mind frame of who the Ravens have always been. You know, when you basically bring another safety in, you you switch the defense from a three four to a three three five and, and bringing a three three five defense to this level. I mean, you don't you don't really see that very often, you know, so I mean, you see that a lot in high school football and maybe college football, you know, but now bringing something like that. Into the NFL, I think I think the Ravens have always been cutting edge, and, and here we go right again. You know, being more cutting edge. You know, not being afraid to stick four or five guys out there that are all DBs and um and, and wreak havoc upon the opponent.
0: Yeah, well, Kyle Hamilton, six foot four safety. You know, there's not a lot of safeties that look like him as long as he is. The first draft pick always is under a lot of scrutiny, but he's had he's had a good camp overall, and it's so interesting. The Ravens love to do these one on one. Uh, pass drills where they'll match up a wide receiver, a tight end against a defensive back. And it's really competitive and and the players love it. And it seems that every week or every practice period they do this, Kyle Hamilton ends up matched against Isaiah Likely, their good-looking rookie tight end. And they've had terrific battles. One day, Likely might win two or three. The other day, Hamilton won all three, got his hand in on a couple passes that Likely was going to catch. So they've they've got a lot of options there in that secondary and I want to say another thing about Chuck Clark. Chuck Clark is a veteran guy, and you have to wonder. I mean, you think he couldn't have been thrilled sitting there as a starting safety on this team, and then he sees them sign a safety and draft a safety. But he's a professional guy. He's out there every day. He never, never publicly pouted. He's 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 competing. And I'll say this: they had practice yesterday. They did those one-on-one drills, and Chuck Clark went two and zero against Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews is almost never stopped by anybody on these practice fields. Clark denied him twice. One ball was a little bit past Andrews and Clark was able to break it up. And the other one was thrown a little bit behind Andrews and he was able to break it up. And then they had an 11 on 11 period and Lamar Jackson tried to throw a touchdown pass to Andrews and Clark broke it up. So if Mark, if Chuck Clark can deny Mark Andrews, then he's going to be able to deny a lot of players in this league. Cause Mark Andrews has looked unstoppable in this camp. Um, but Chuck Clark did a great job of him against him yesterday. And so and again, you never know what's going to happen. Guys get hurt. Guys get banged up, miss a game. It's a deep safety group. It's a deep secondary. And if if they stay healthy, they're building this the way they want, as they said, from the back to the front. All right. The last group is the specialist group. I sometimes group them with the defense just because, and we know they have Justin Tucker, end of discussion, right? But not really, because they have a new punter and a new holder now in Jordan Stout. They Sam Cook, out after 16 years, He fin- he retires. He's on the field coaching every day, which is a great opportunity for the rookie Jordan Stout from Penn State. He gets to learn from a guy who was a master of the craft for 16 years. The interesting thing for Jordan Stout, I mean, he's got a huge leg. We've seen him booming the ball. He totally looks the part of an NFL punter. The biggest thing with him is going to be his holding, and we joke about it, but Jerry Rosberg, the former special teams coordinator, Called Sam Cook the best holder in the history of football, the way he caught it, the way he spotted it. And, and he said part of Tucker's success was clearly how good Sam Cook was as a holder. And if, if it's off by just a little bit, the kick can be off by a little bit. Tucker, you know, Tucker raved about Cook. He is raving about Stout. And Jordan Stout is now the punter and the holder for this team going forward. And as I said, he totally looks the part. All right, the Ravens go to this second preseason game. They go on the road to Arizona. It's a long way to go for a preseason game, but they're doing it, and they will see their old friend Marquise Brown. I don't know if he'll play in that game. John Harbaugh has implied that more starters would play this week than played last week. He was non-committal about whether Lamar Jackson would play. Personally, I would be shocked to see Lamar Jackson play. We asked Lamar Jackson last week if he was going to play, and he was also non-committal. They're being coy, but I don't think there's any way that Lamar Jackson plays in this game. Maybe he plays a little bit in the last preseason game against Washington, but I don't think we'll see him there either. All right, well, there's a good look at the Ravens' defense through what? We're about almost a month into three weeks into training camp and it's starting to shake out. The Ravens have two more preseason games. Then they cut the roster down to 53 players on August 30th. And by then, we'll have a better feel for this team and we'll probably have a better feel for whether the Ravens will face Joe Flacco. This coming Saturday. This coming Sunday, it will be the Ravens at Arizona. And we'll be back with the show next week discussing that game and looking a little closer at what the Ravens have in store as they get ready for that big roster cut down to 53 players there are always, always tough decisions to make there, and Eric DeCasse and John Harbaugh will have them once again. For Daniel Wilcox, this is Bo Smoke. We thank you for listening to us this week, and we hope you'll be back again next week on Believe in the Ravens podcast on the Believe Network.